Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome on the birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And tonight we will welcome Norfolk Tides pitching coach Justin Ramsey onto the show to break down some of the prospects that have come through the Tides system, Tides uh, this year, as well as other players in the Orioles farm system. And we'll get to that in a moment, but we'll start off as we do most episodes by shouting out new members of our Patreon community. And for that, I'll turn it over to Bob. Yeah, we have a couple couple new members. Thanks uh, to Patrick S. and Mark Gray Mendes. Thanks for signing up. We appreciate it. And with that, I will introduce tonight's guest. He is the pitching coach for the Norfolk Tides. He's been a coach in the Orioles farm system since the 2019 season. He is Justin Ramsey. Justin, how are you? Good. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. We're really happy to have you on. And Let's start with the fact that your journey as a coach has actually been very much like a player's. You started at the college ranks. You've been in pro ball for a few years now, starting at low A in the Orioles farm system, and now you're a triple A. So just kind of give us a background on how that has been for you and maybe how the 2022 season is different than others you have been through. Um, Well, it's the highest level I've been to. So that's obviously a little, little different. I've been a little bit more exciting, a lot closer to, um, you know, the top level, a lot more interest in what's going on with the, with the guys up top, obviously closer relationships um, with, with the coaching staff and the players up there as, as I've been around a little bit more. So it's been, it's been really cool in that regard to uh, just almost obviously not be a part of what they're doing up there directly, but like indirectly and, and enjoying what they're doing on the field. Obviously we're, touching base just a little bit before we got started about the the guys scoring four and you know how exciting that is what they're doing against Garrett Cole and things like that so it's been a lot of fun to be a part of is it easier to feel connected to the to the major league team now absolutely yeah yeah no I mean it's obviously we we all hate losing um but the nights where you know it doesn't go our way as as the tides when we come in and see that the O's are winning we feel a little bit better because we know ultimately that's what what we're trying to do is develop players to to go help when the game's up there where it matters most, not to take away from anything that's going on down here, but we all know what we're trying to do, honestly. Speaking of that talent in AAA, it, what would you say is the most challenging adjustment to AAA for not only pitchers, but for yourself as a coach? We know the hitters are obviously more advanced, but what are some things that maybe don't stand out to the, to the typical fan watching? I think you just kind of take for granted really the caliber of, of that quote unquote four a player. When you see those guys that have experienced, like have the big league time or back down or, 
you know, they're, they're knocking on the door and kind of been journeyman going back and forth. Like they really know what they're doing and they capitalize on the mistakes that the younger players make that, you know, maybe you can get away with a little bit. Um, and even still in double A with the advanced approaches those guys have, it's just a whole nother level here. And it makes you appreciate what it really takes to, to be a star at, at the highest level. Um, because these guys that are at this level are still really good players and it doesn't matter if they're in the three hole or the seven hole or the nine hole, they can still do some damage um, to, to just about anybody. Speaking of potential stars, what do you think about how Kyle Bradish has performed at the major league level so far? feels like he's pitched a lot better than his surface level stats would uh, indicate. I think he's looked pretty good out there, especially that masterpiece in St. Louis, but how do you think he's, he's done so far? Uh, I think he's been a lot of fun to watch. Obviously we play a lot of games at the same time. So a lot of, a lot of times it's either watching the game on, on replay after ours or watching it the next morning, but he's, he has done a good job. Like you said, you know, you kind of, you look back at the the start against the Yankees and the, the three run home run that hits off the foul pole that blows back, you know, it's just, there's a couple little things like that. Obviously he could have made some better pitches at different times, but he's, he's been fantastic to, to watch develop. And it's, it's really cool to see him up there doing what he, what he's capable of. And I don't think anybody in the organizations are really surprised with him having success up there. We've been kind of, talking about how special of a talent he was since the alt site. What adjustments has he made from when he first got to Norfolk last year, if you know, because you were with Bowie then. But uh, it seems like his command has gotten a lot better, at least to start the season when he uh, was pitching for you guys. I just think, I mean, it's credit to his work and understanding what he needs to do delivery-wise and repeat it. And I think he's really made that a focus of his, um, you know, starting, like I said, back at the alt site, but continuing that, that's when, when you have a unique delivery the way he does, it can take a little, a, a few more reps, if you will, to, to really hammer that home. And I think you're really starting to see him settle into that. Um, and it's obviously fun to watch because he's got some really good stuff. It's interesting with the alt site because we had been hearing about a lot of players who are making strides at the alt site back in 2020, but without any access to anybody outside the world's organization, we at the time kind of had to take it with a grain of salt, but yet you see Kyle Bradis, Gunnar Henderson, um, even Adley Rutzman and Grayson Rodriguez, DL Hall really have skyrocketed in a lot of ways since that 2020 summer. So what, what was that experience like for players and for coaches? And what do you think the players really took away from it? I mean, for me, it was an honor to be a part of that. Obviously, there's a lot of really good coaches in this organization. And to to be just one of those guys that happened to to go in there and, and be around that and be a part of the development of what was going on and having those you know closer conversations with the big league staff and understanding what they needed, what the expectations were. Um, it was It was very cool. And I think... You know, you can kind of make those those weird scrimmages or inner squads or whatever you want to call them. The they weren't even full scrimmages because obviously we didn't have enough to play two full games. But you can make those whatever you want. And the players did a phenomenal job of keeping up the energy and really focusing on getting better every day. Even though, you know, you, you're seeing the same pitcher in five straight at bats as a hitter or as a pitcher, you're seeing the same five guys come through over and over and over again. And that guy got you last time. He gets you again, and they're like, oh, what am I going to do this time? So it just it really forced them to kind of learn how to, to make some better pitches and make some adjustments, and also as hitters. I mean, you mentioned Gunner. He was one of those those guys that came in and really struggled that first month, but then 
I mean, he grinded and he stayed with it. And I mean, he just, obviously he's a special talent. He's a special talent. And so his ability to overcome that has only helped, I think, speed up his process in double A this year as such a young player. You've been with Grayson Rodriguez for much of the way as both of you have ascended up through the organization together. What has impressed you the most about his growth as really a very young pitcher at Delmarva to someone who's now the top pitching prospect in all of baseball and probably on the brink of the major leagues? Um, That he's never been satisfied with anything that he's done. He's always looking to get better. He's always looking to work. He's not settling on what he's done in the past or what his talents dictate that he can do now. He's constantly looking to get better and he's taken that into every off season and and throughout every regular season and just always had something that he was, he was focusing on and continuing to get better with. It seems like he could breeze through five innings, give up one hit, no runs, one walk and strike out 12 guys. And he makes that one mistake He's yelling in his glove. He's pounding his mitt. Um, you can tell that he's he's never satisfied with, with that performance, and he always wants to get better. When you have to go out there in the mound and, and calm him down or talk to him if, when, during a game, what is that conversation like with a guy like Grayson Rodriguez? Um, I mean, it's different with, with anyone every time you go out there. Obviously, it goes back to kind of knowing the kid and reading the, the situation at hand. And sometimes it's just to give him a breather, whether he's upset or not, just because of pitch count. Other times it is to lock in the emotions that get the best of all of us on the mound at times. Um, it's never been anything um, combative on his, on his end. I can tell you that as, as angry as he might be at the situation, he's still in check and in control of where he's at. And it's never been one of those crazy blowups out there or anything like that. It's always been, all right, here's where we're at. Let's get back to work. Let's, this is the plan or this is what we need to do. Or, Hey man, it could be as simple as just throw your best stuff right through your catcher. Cause it's pretty good. It's good enough. <laughs> yeah. I, I bought tickets to uh, last Monday's game against the Yankees, uh, anticipating something, which turned out to be wrong. Didn't matter. Cause Saturday was still epic, but, uh, you think I should buy any tickets for this next homestand by any chance? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about last Monday when you brought it up. I still don't know about this Monday either. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, you got another pretty uh, spectacular pitching prospect down there in Norfolk right now, uh, D.L. Hall. And I feel like whenever you see discussions about D.L. Hall from like the national perspective, they always revolve around the the – quote-unquote lack of control, those early career walk numbers, the the injury history, the potential for more injuries. But I feel like all these conversations really fail to capitalize on the strides he's made in his development and what kind of pitcher he can truly become down the road. Uh, when you watch D.L. Hall work, uh, what do you see out there on the mound? Honestly, it's a, a lot of the same the same things that make Grayson great or make D.L. great. It's He's not satisfied with anything. And, you know, that – whatever the, the the narrative out there about him is only motivates him more to prove them wrong. Um, you know, I, I've seen the footage from 19. I understand like the quote unquote concerns with the control, but I also saw the strides that he made at the alt side. And I know what he was doing last year in 21. And even um, if the, you know, you look at the walks per nine, they were a little better, but not like this crazy huge strides, but I can tell you the competitiveness of the balls that led to the walks were so much closer to the zone than it was in 19 that I'm I'm not worried about that aspect. I know he's going to fill it up and he's going to have the stuff and the competitive drive that's going to continue to make him great. 
Yeah. I mean, last year before the injury, I thought he looked incredible out there. And then when he had his rehab appearance in Bowie, those four innings he threw or 3.2, whatever ended up being, I thought that was the best I'd ever seen him pitch. So it seems like he's just getting better and better. And and I, I don't think he's a, a relief risk personally. How about you? No, I agree. I think he's got starter written all over him. He's got four ridiculous weapons. <clears throat> Obviously, it's a overpowering fastball. It's two distinct breaking balls, and it's a plush changeup. I think that's a pretty good recipe for a starter, if you ask me. <laughs> Not too shabby. Speaking of yeah. starters, Dean Kramer is going to make a, a rehab appearance for you guys uh, Tuesday night, tomorrow night. He struck out five and two innings with Bowie last week, even through an immaculate inning there in the first inning. Seemed to be turning in a corner late last season while in Norfolk after a pretty tough year, but Speaking of what you could, what was the process like for Kramer last season and getting him back to a place both physically and mentally where he's ready to compete in the major leagues again? Um, you know, I, I think, like you said, the, the mental part is always – and that's with anybody when it comes to, to this game at this level. Um, he's got the stuff, and, and I think just getting comfortable and understanding what it takes to do at that level, that's a whole other learning process. And so to go out there and have some really success in 20 the way he did um, – you know, it, it just lends itself, <clears throat> excuse me, it lends itself to, to continue to grow. And, and sometimes those it's, we know learning and growth isn't, isn't straight. There's going to be ups and downs. And I think that's what, you know, is going to allow him to continue to succeed is because he, he is going to learn from those things and he is, you know, getting back to that attack mentality and understanding what makes him who he is and the reason, you know, he was so highly coveted and in, in getting him over here in that trade. How big was that missing 2020 season for because of COVID for guys like Kramer and, and Keegan Aiken and Zach Lowther and Bruce Zimmerman? Because you see this year, especially Aiken and Zimmerman, they've come out and looked worlds better than they did in a limited time last year. Uh, was that missed time to learn from their mistakes in AAA and have to be forced to the majors? Uh, was that pretty big? I, I mean, I would I would assume so. I don't. Honestly, obviously wasn't up there for, for all of that, but I would say that you could definitely see that being a part of it because there is such a, you know, we're talking about just the the, the level of talent with the, those four, those quad A players earlier. Like those guys, you know, you can learn a lot from from your experience at this level prepping you to, to go up there. And so to make that jump, um, there's definitely going to be some some growing pains. And, and so I think you kind of see them as they've, they've all done a, tremendous job of, of learning from that. And I think obviously Holty and Holmesy up there have, have a lot to do with that and, and guiding these guys along and understanding that like, just because you struggled it this last time out or last year or whatever, doesn't mean that's always going to be something you struggle with. Let's continue to develop. And I think it's really, it's really cool to see, um, especially at the highest level, you know, what they've been able to do with that growth and learning up there, not learning, you know, at a lower level, they took their lumps and then learned and grew and continue to get better every day. It's really exciting to watch. You got to experience the automated uh, ball strike system last week while in Charlotte. What was it like for your guys and what are your thoughts about implementing this across the board, likely in the near future? It was interesting. Um, you know, we definitely had a couple calls go our way uh, at, you know, on the mound. And then I know there was definitely some calls that, you know, because we have some really good catching at this level. All three guys that we had um, are fantastic receivers. And, you know, you see they, they have conversations with the umpires. It's like, hey, would that, would, you know, is that something in a normal game? Is that, would you get that call? And sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. 
but it's just not the case with with the with the automatic ball strike thing. So um, I thought, I mean, just kind of looking at it because we you know we have the access to the to the information in the dugout. Um, it seemed to me that if it's going to be touching anything touching the line as a strike, maybe it should be just a touch smaller. Just from watching where things cross and and just from the the human element watching from the side and then looking down and understanding what's called balls and strikes maybe just shrink the initial strike zone a hair so that the ball that just touches the zone isn't it's, it's so borderline you know i mean i it was it was cleaner than i thought it was going to be but i that was kind of my only thought was maybe if it was just a, the inside strike zone was just a touch smaller but i actually enjoyed it it made it a very clean game in terms of you're certainly not arguing with the empire about balls and strikes because it's it's right. not up to him so i was i was surprised i wasn't sure what i'd think of it um being a little bit more of a baseball purist, but I didn't mind it as much as I thought. I guess. Love it. It seems like yeah, it's uh, you're either pro the strike zone or, or anti the strike zone, and there's no convincing the other way. But uh, it's good to see you guys get more experience with that. Um, but looking kind of behind the scenes a little bit, um, we see these guys every five six days take the bounding. We see the work they do on the field, but what from what you can talk about what's the process for these guys in between starts are you going over film with them the day after because we know baseball it's it's day after day after day and especially minor league ball is such a grind but um how are you able to carve out time with these guys to go over their outings each time i mean it's it just becomes part of the routine for these guys that we schedule it in <clears throat> after you throw starters you know the day after they throw relievers it's usually after a couple outings or if you have a longer outing just kind of keeping the information fresh form and presenting it to them. But yeah, we go over the video, we go over, you know, the, the pitch shapes, their pitch usage, um, you know, things we touched on in development, how they did with those things and other things we either need to address to add into, or, Hey, we've done a really good job with this. Let's move on to something else. So it's, um, you know, as daunting as it, of a task as it may seem at times, it just becomes part of the routine for those guys um, as well as for, for us as coaches, because ultimately we're trying to, we know that's the expectation up there. We're trying to get them as prepared as we can. So we want to make review, advance report, everything that we can, the information that they're looking at as close to what they're going to get up there as possible. So when they do get up there, they're ready to rock. They're not overwhelmed by the, the information they have available to them. You were featured quite prominently in a piece by one of our favorites, John Mioli, last month on Felix Bautista, another one of our favorites, Rise Through the Farm System. Could you give us a sense of just how far he's come since you worked with him in Delmarva back in 2019? Um, it's It's been incredible to watch him develop. Obviously, coming up as just this huge human <laughs> who could throw really hard that was listed at 6'5", 190, which I think might be his left leg. Um <laughs> It's it, to, to see him come in and um, just refine his ability to repeat his delivery and throw his best weapons through the zone and to do it in, I mean, small strides as he developed, but to really make the jump that he has in the last couple of years, obviously going from, you know, this time last year being in high A to being in the big leagues right now, it's pretty impressive. And it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. And he's such a phenomenal kid. It's, we're all just so excited for him. And every time he goes out there, I mean, there's cheers in our clubhouse if we happen to be watching with the game on. It's it's awesome. That's great to hear. We saw a much different Kevin Smith in the first half of 2021 than we saw in the second half. And then as well as early this season, uh, right before he was moved from the 40-man roster, what does he have to do to get back to being the dominant pitcher he was for months of last year? 
Um, I mean, again, it, when, when you get up to this level, there is some learning that goes on, and I think it's just one of those growing pain situations. He's getting back to what made him so good, which is, you know, a deceptive delivery and the ability to move his weapons around. And he's doing a better job with that this year. So I think it's just kind of continuing to learn um, and con- continuing to, to better utilize his pitches. Um, and so obviously the, the start off, to start off the way he did with us and Bowie was incredible. Um, and, to, you know, I, I just think that's still in there. We all know it is. It's just a matter of continuing to, to learn and trust the stuff and execute at this level because, again, we you know touched on it a couple times. The mistakes just get hit a lot harder at this level with the guys that are doing it here. There's, there are three other guys on that Norfolk roster who we're big fans of, uh, especially Ofelki Peralta here. Um, huge Ofelki Peralta fans. Who, it seems like he's been in this organization for like 25 years at this point. <laughs> but uh, Blaine Knight, Cody Sedlock, and Ofelki Peralta, all guys that we've kind of felt like you know maybe they their stuff plays better in shorter sense out of the bullpen, and they become major league weapons. They've had a little bit of struggles now since reaching AAA, but do you see any of these three being able to to break out and, and get that shot in the, in the major leagues? I mean, I think any one of them could, whether it is as a starter or as a reliever, I think um, they all have weapons that can play in either role, and it's just a matter of finding the consistency. And I think we've seen flashes of that with all of these guys, regardless of what level it's been at. Um, you know, they've all done some really good things. It's – it's just a matter of when it's going to click and what it's going to turn into. But yeah, no, we, we absolutely think any one of those guys could impact the middle league roster at any time. You know, we see fans on Twitter and even on our Patreon WhatsApp group are so quick to, if a player is performing well, oh, promote them. If they're doing bad, it's like, Oh no, they're, they're no good anymore. But I think, could you speak to uh, just the way that player development is not linear and uh, you know, just ease their ease their patience a little bit. Well, I know one of the things that, that we really harp on is truly the development piece. And unfortunately, part of development is making adjustments that can lead to failure. And it's really hard to not get caught up in that for, for guys sometimes. And so as an organization, we really, really harp on on that understanding that there's going to be some some bumps and bruises as you learn this new pitch or, or work on this new aspect of your delivery, and it's really hard to do in the middle of the season. But if we can chip away at it a little bit at a time, yes, it's going to be rough for a week, a month, two months, whatever it is as we, we continue this growth. Um, by the end of the year, ultimately, if we can take the next step to get the next level, isn't it worth it to struggle for the week or two or whatever it is that we do it? Um, you know, I've said this multiple times, and we all have as, as coaches. Um, if we lose a game because you go throw a changeup because that's the pitch you're working on, and it gets hit out of the ballpark, oh well, that sucks. We hate losing, we really do. But if you learn how to throw that changeup, and it gets a big leaguer out in two years, was it worth it to lose that game in 2022? A hundred percent. Yes, it sucks now. It stings now, but this is a very long game that goes on. For it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You've, we've all used that cliche when talking about this game in, in the sense of the season, but it, it really, when you talk about player development, it's absolutely the case. And so, <clears throat> yeah, it sucks when you when you give up that that hit or, or walk a guy on that pitch. Like I love when guys throw off speed pitches and full counts because it. And if they walk them, I don't care because again, in two months, are you striking dudes out with that pitch instead? Then it's worth it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. 
Uh, Nick Vespi, Cole Uvila, and more recently Logan Gillespie have been very impressive working out of the bullpen. Seems like guys, Orioles fans will get to know very well sooner rather than later. And are each guys with very interesting development stories. You know, Logan Gillespie was in independent ball as a catcher before transitioning to a pitcher. Cole Uvila has been, you know, working out of driveline for a while. Vespi's just been grinding through this organization. How fun has it been to see their success? Oh, I mean, it's it's been a ton of fun. Obviously, we've had a lot of success stories with with the every, like every position at this level. Um, yeah. this year. And obviously, it's it's fun to be a part of. Um, you know, I guess I'll start with Vespi because I've known him the longest. Obviously, in nineteen, having him as a starter um, and watching him kind of. I don't know, develop in that regard and learn how to, to move things around and pitch a little bit more and then get converted back into a relievable post-pandemic uh, shutdown season. But him still learning how to pitch, but now having um, a more refined, you know, weaponry with, with adjusting the, the fastball that has more cut and then the slider and the curveball and seeing him do that was it's just really cool um to to kind of seen the steps that he's gone because he has absolutely grinded and worked his butt off to get where he's at um you know gillespie's obviously a great story we touched you touched on that already kind of out of nowhere if you will in terms of what what everyone was thinking when when added to the 40 man but then when you see his stuff you understand this wasn't just a fluky guy to throw on there like we knew that if we didn't protect this guy that there was a real chance um he was going to go and so whether we you know he was going to impact the roster this year or not was up to him really and he did a <laughs> he did what he needed to do to, to at least start that process and cole um you know obviously we got him in the rule five draft the minor league rule five draft this year um and he was you know one of those guys when we were looking at kind of the stuff and, and conversations about who possibly to take in that in that you know scenario, he was at the top of the list. And so when he was there for our second pick, we were just elated. And so for him to to show up and do what he's done is no surprise because we know we knew his stuff was really good. And then obviously getting to know the person, the competitive drive when he's out there. I mean, he's ready to take the ball anytime and do whatever's asked. And all, all, all those guys in the bullpen are, are ready, willing, and able to take the ball anytime. It's it's a good problem to have as, as a staff uh, trying to figure out who to put out there because I've got some pretty good options. I feel like with Gillespie, the more you read about him, you always learn something really interesting and unique. And I feel like there's a, a pretty fun, interesting story about the, the guy off the field. Uh, do you have any like interesting or funny Logan Gillespie stories to speak to his personality off the field? Um, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy that I've encountered, but I can tell you it is 100% genuine. He is as beautiful of a person as you think he is based on his quirkiness or whatever you want to call it. Like it is just the most genuine loving person. Like I, he's so fun to be around. It's infectious. Everybody enjoys their time with him. He's just impossible not to like. I like how fast he works on the mound. Keep that pace going. That's he's like Gene Pinto in that regard. <laughs> um, Tim Naughton is a name we've known for some time, but he seems to have unlocked another level this year and has been really good out of the bullpen. Were there any big changes for him coming into this season? You know, he's another guy who who really took to heart his offseason work and did a fantastic job of um, just getting more in time um, and better connection to 
to deliver his pitches through the zone. And you see it, the, he's throwing more strikes than he has. He's getting better action, um, especially on the breaking ball. That's been a fun, fun process to see him develop. So not that it was bad before by any means, but just it's, it's taken that, you know, like you said, that unlock It's taken that next step. And so it's credit to him and all of his hard work and what he's done to put himself, you know, really in the position that he's in. Hopefully in the near future, you get to reunite with uh, some guys who are in Bowie right now, guys like Drew Robb, Garrett Stallings, um, Brandon Young. I, I don't know if you were you and Brandon Young probably didn't, you didn't cross pass in Bowie last year, but some of these younger guys. Um, can you speak to to Rom and Stallings in particular and what makes them stand out as pitching prospects? Because I think the three of us all agree, especially with with Rom. Uh, I feel like all three, all, both of those guys, are really flying under the radar as like legitimate starting pitching prospects. So can you just kind of speak to those two guys and what they bring to the table and what separates them? Um, well, and I think. You know, the competitive side, I, I don't want to keep using that cliche, but these guys, I mean, that's part of what makes them who they are and the drive to get to where they want to go. You know, Rom gets that soft toss and lefty cliche thrown on him, and I don't agree with it. I know he's talked about it on here with you guys. Like, he is doing things to, to throw the ball. I mean, his delivery has improved and his, his consistency has improved to where he can throw the ball harder, more consistent, you know, on a more consistent level or basis. And it's been fun to watch. And he's, you know, separating his pitches because he has like six. <laughs> and so to get the feel of those weapons to keep the hitters off balance. And I mean, nobody sees him well, at least, you know, to this point. Like it, it's when you look at just, I guess, if you want to say that soft tosser from 2019 that was in Delmarva, like nobody saw him. It didn't matter what the velocity was. He, he absolutely made guys look foolish when they chased. And to see him develop and continue that you know, last year in Bowie, and obviously he's doing a lot of the same this year, but now adding velocity and better shapes with his pitches. I think it just speaks to what he could be as he continues to grow. Stallings, another guy who continues to work. I mean, talk about feel to pitch, like the ability to move the weapons around the zone um, at any time. I think he's not afraid to throw any pitch at any time. Um, and another guy that's starting to add, you know, or continuing to add, I should say, some some – some stuff to the to the weapons by throwing a little bit harder and creating some better shapes. Like you add, you know, velocity and stuff on top of pitchability. That's a fun combination. It's a lot easier to do that and see success than it is to go the other way and just take a bunch of raw stuff and try to get them to throw strikes. It doesn't always work out too well. I mean, obviously we talked about Felix Batista and his ability to do that, but we've also, you know, seen plenty of times across this industry where it doesn't work out. I want to ask you about the the soft tossing lefty label with Drew Rom. In your opinion, has that ever been true? Because we've talked about it a lot in the last three years that we've had this show, and have constantly said that's not exactly what he is. He's a lot different than that. Has he ever been that? In your opinion, no. But I mean, when you look at the the velo profile of a lefty who originally, again, going back to nineteen, where he was probably 88 to 91, something like that. I guess you could say that's the soft toss and lefty profile, but it was always from a different angle and you knew he was going to con continue to grow because he was so young and, you know, he, he was strong and he knew it was going to continue to get stronger. So I, I never considered him a soft tossing lefty. I knew there was going to be more in the tank and he keeps proving that every day. I feel like with his maturity and just stoicism on the mound, it's easy to forget just how young he is. So still plenty of time for him to develop. It's also because um, he has such a deep voice, but go on. <laughs> yeah, and a great mustache. True. Um, 
Are there any pitchers in the lower minors that you feel fans should be keeping an eye out for that could take like a big leap forward in the next year or two? Um, I know there's a lot of talented ones out there. Unfortunately, the way our spring training is set up where we're separated, um, I've been fortunate enough to be on the major league side for, for the big league camps the last couple of years. And because minor league side is at a different site, I haven't been able to, you know, lay eyes on them. I mean, obviously we, we all know the names, but, um, you know, that's, it's just been so few and far between my opportunities to truly get out and see them. I mean, I would, I wouldn't say I'm the, unfortunately I'm not the right guy to ask. I wish I could to give you more. Cause I know there's a, there's a lot of good ones out there for sure. What about in the upper levels of the minor leagues and even on that Norfolk roster, I feel like you're pretty you know in tune to the conversations that are happening, you know, on social media and everything. Who are some of the guys that, you know, you feel like are getting talked about enough and maybe it's because, you look at the stat line and guys overlook them because of that reason, but you know, their stuff plays so much better than that. Um, I mean, I think obviously there's a lot of conversations about the starters and for good reason, there's some really good ones over there. I mean, obviously adding Velez into the situation and the strike throwing ability that he has, um, you know, I, and obviously talked about BY and, and Rom and, and Stallings and you can keep going down there, but I think that bullpen doesn't get enough credit. Um, Ryan Conroy is a stud who, will come up and he came up for us and helped us out early and just did a fantastic job. He's not afraid to get, again, a guy who knows how to pitch with all of his weapons at the Nolan Hoffman signing or rule five signing or draft or whatever you call it. Um, that's a, that's a special arm talent that we're all excited to see how that plays. Tyler Birch, um, what he was you know able to do with that breaking ball, um, you know, Sheldon Perkins. I mean, the, again, the list goes on, um, on and on and on. And I know I'm like Morgan McSweeney's another guy that was big for us last year in Bowie and is going to continue to to get some big outs potentially at the back end of the pen. It's it's a it's a pretty good staff. <clears throat> From player development standpoint, just looking at the system as a whole, what do you think are the organization's biggest strengths when it comes to pitching? Uh, one thing that we're hearing, not just you know, kind of in our circle of you know Orioles podcast and media, but even nationally now, is that the Orioles seem to know what they're doing when it comes to developing change-ups. Uh, but what else do you think is going on that's been successful? I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is the consistency of the message. Um, it's <clears throat> it's amazing when guys come up, and it's not shocking because I know Conway is phenomenal, but like, like the information that they're primed and ready when they do come up to us, whether, you know, more so last year when he would come, they would come from Aberdeen to us and Bowie, um, but even you know the little bit that the guys have come up this year, they're ready, and so it's one of those like it's a consistent message, you know, from the DSL all the way up to the major leagues, and I think you know Holty did a a really good job of instilling that into the organization when when he came in as a part of the regime change, and I think um, you know Matt Blood's continued that that message that is top to bottom going to be the same. It's going to be consistent. You're not going to be getting, you know, message A at one level and message Q at a different level. It's going to be consistent all the way through. And so I think that's part of where you see the development, whether it is on a changeup or a breaking ball or velocity or strike throwing. It's because it's the same message time and time again from quality coaches. And we have some really, really, really good coaches in the system, obviously. No doubt about that. Something now to some big news that came out today. And Justin, we definitely want to get your thoughts on this, which is the number of promotions that we saw. A lot of them at the lower levels of the system is Carter Baumler 
in Elio Prado are making the jump from Florida up to Delmarva. Alex Pham will be going from Delmarva to Aberdeen, along with Daryl Hernandez, who got off to a really hot start there, and Cesar Prieto going from high A Aberdeen to double A Bowie after a strong start that was surprising to some because not only did Prieto hit, but he hit for power uh, in his time in Aberdeen. So, Justin, what are kind of your background on these guys and your feelings on seeing them move up in the system? Um, you know, saw a little bit of them kind of in early camp with the handful that were there, uh, like Prieto. Um, I, he can – that bats a ball ability is incredible. Um, and he, he – the fact that he didn't hit for power before was surprising because when I did see him, he looked strong. And, I mean, he can he could obviously hit. It's exciting to see those guys. Carter Baumler getting back out there and, and getting into the full season mode. You know, he was – excuse me um, – somebody that I didn't get to see a lot of before this, this season, this spring training, really. It's the first time I really had any experience with him. Um, that's another one of those kids that is driven. And I don't think he's going to settle on anything that he has or hasn't done. I think he's got that same mentality that we're talking about with those guys earlier um, that has a real chance and opportunity to, to become something special as he continues to grow. Um, Nick, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on the moves today. Uh, Cesar Prieto, yeah, I mean, seven home runs in Aberdeen, that is not an easy park to hit a home run in. I know the the metrics say that that's one of the most difficult parks in high eight to hit the ball out of the ballpark, and he did it seven times. I saw him live, very impressive, just he rakes. Uh, can't wait to see him go up to Bowie and see what he can do, and that will probably be the best infield in all of minor league baseball between Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, and now Cesar Prieto. We'll see how long they're all on the same team together. But, yeah, I'm super excited to see Carter Baumler come up and make his professional debut. This is a guy, that 2020 draft, just looking better and better. Got Kobe Mayo, Anthony Servideo, oh, gosh, Jordan Westberg, Hudson Haskins, and now Baumler all looking great. Obviously, we haven't seen Baumler yet, but he's already in our top 30, and I think if he gets out to a fast start, he could quickly rise from there. And Elio Prado, our friend Eric Garfield, he's been a big Elio Prado fan for quite a while, getting video of him in practice, but we've never been able to see him on the field. So excited to see him come up and show what he's got. And Daryl Hernandez, he really earned, you know, we heard that he was a little bit disappointed that he went back to Delmarva instead of starting at Aberdeen, but he, he put up the numbers. He, he performed and showed his improvement from year to year and he earned this promotion and I'm glad to see it. And Alex Pham, this will be a nice transition transition back to Nick, who Nick loves Alex Fam for good reason. He's he's looked really good out of the bullpen in this short time, and and the fast promotion to Aberdeen speaks a lot. Yeah, I don't know what it is about Alex Fam because you know, sometimes I get him on those games MILB TV. Uh, you know, you guys know that sometimes some of those camera angles we can't really see uh, too much. But um, I'm excited to see Alex Fam perform against higher level competition there. But yeah, I'm mostly excited for Cesar Prito, and I'm sure you guys mentioned this while I was figuring that out, but the infield of Joey Ortiz and uh, Gunner and Westberg and Prito is just unbelievable. I don't know another system in the big leagues that's going to have uh, four guys like that at, at one level. Um, and yeah, for me, it's Carter Baumler. I think he said he's pitching on Wednesday, uh, and the schedule's cleared, um, and I will have that on the big screen TV, and I am super stoked to watch Um Carter Baumler throw because I feel like what we've heard from some other people you know outside the organization is that when you look back at that draft class yes Kobe Mayo really really stands out we've seen him perform already but 
Carter Baumler could be a, a real gem in that draft class that the Orioles were able to grab. And it's uh, I, I just love that story too of Baumler, how you know supposedly the Orioles offered didn't even offer him the most amount of money, but that message that they sent to him um, and you know that pitch that he got from the Orioles, he said I, I, I want to continue my career at the Orioles. So um, yeah, Wednesday night. And if any fans you know are disappointed by the lack of pitching drafted by the Orioles, well. Here you go. This is one of these high upside high school arms that's going to get to show what he's got over the next couple of years. So, Justin, just kind of curious to get um, some perspective on this, which is obviously when you're in the middle of the season, you've got to focus on the players that you have. But it also feels like the Orioles do take a collaborative approach to the draft where it's not just scouting, making a decision, turning it over to player development and not really any cohesion in the message that player is going to get and how they should be developed. So what is that experience like for you firsthand? Is there seeing players in the draft, they draft a player and they bring them into the system? Um, so in my personal experience, I've had uh, just eyes on a few different players, but not as much as some other guys. It just really depends on um, kind of how things have been distributed. So there's, there is certainly cohesion, you know, obviously, Holty's looking at the top guys. I don't know, um, you know, if that's still the case as the major league coach, but in years past as um, the director of pitching, that was certainly something he, he would take ownership of. And then, um, you know, there's a lot of conversations amongst scouts and um, player development in terms of what we look for, what we want, what we were trying to do and then get their perspective. And so that's really what it's been a cool process to be a part of, you know, seeing, um, you know, the, like you said, the, the cohesion of everybody coming together and, and picking the, the guys that work in within the system that we are trying to create as an organization and watching them, you know, the players grow within it is, is very cool. Are you watching the draft and uh, rooting for them to select pitchers and cheering when they do? <laughs> How's your draft experience go? Um, well, we tend to be playing or at least busy getting ready to play a lot of the times. Obviously the first rounds being at night, we're not able to yeah. to watch the ones throughout the day. Um, I'll usually follow along my draft tracker um, more when I was just getting into this side. Cause I'd be looking for guys that I either coached or coached against or knew through other, um, you know, friends in the game. Um, but now that I've been more on the pro side, um, you know, it's obviously, you know, we're all paying attention. Um, but I, I trust like the that side of things. I'm yeah, obviously I'm excited when it's a pitcher. I don't care what round it is because it's just more yeah. more clay to mold. You know what I mean? I know there's a reason we're taking them. It's not just like, hey, that name's still there. Let's grab mm-hmm. that. No, there's there's something that make that makes that individual unique and is going to allow them to have some success in this organization and let's go see what we can do with it. That is a good point. It feels like, you know, going back, Carlos Severa is one name that comes to mind in particular. And I know you haven't had a chance to coach him for a season yet, but that didn't feel like it was just a name when they took him last year. It's like there's a reason why they're taking Tavera. And really from the time he got to Del Marvo last summer, we kept hearing these things about this is what he can do well. And now he's at Aberdeen doing that start after start. So when you see something like that, that does speak to, you know, some sort of purpose when they draft these pitchers. Absolutely. I mean, again, those, our, our scouts know what they're doing, um, whether it's using their eyes or using some analytics or whatever other tools they have at their, their fingertips. They're, 
they're going to maximize, you know, the information and get the best player that fits into our, our system and helps us continue to develop and ideally stay as the, one of the top farm systems in the game, even though, you know, it's where we're at now. We understand that's, you know, cyclical and we want to continue to, to produce guys that, you know, this talent pipeline that we, we've all talked about. And we want that to be a longstanding thing. I just feel like one more note about the draft talking about, you know, some of these college guys, I just feel like a lot of guys like Carlos Tavera, guys like Dylan Hyde, who came out of what the D2 ranks, I just feel like people will look at the the final draft list or look at the draft tracker and see a guy you know, come out of the JUCO ranks or the D2 or the D3 ranks and kind of overlook him or one of these you know mid-major D1 programs even and overlook him. And it's just, like you said, the scouts know exactly what they're doing. And so when the Orioles are going to bring them in, uh, and what I like, what I take solace in is that you just mentioned also that constant messaging from up and down. As guys move up the level, they're ready for you when they come up to AAA. So I feel like, you know, these guys are doing their homework and you know, they take this guy that out of a school that, you know, we may have never heard of, but they're going to fit that mold already that the Orioles are looking for. And um, yeah, it's fun to watch these guys blossom after a year or two in, in the system, what you guys can do with them. Oh, it's 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 been a lot of fun. They've given us a lot of fun clay to play with, like I said. Vivek has a question. How do you keep your phenomenal beard in such good shape? Um, I grew it myself. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's beard oil and a comb. <laughs> and he, he has a real question, too. He says, when it comes to pitchers coming back from injuries, are there words of advice or guidance given in terms of how to prevent re-injury? Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is obviously when you're coming back is to, to trust the process, um, whether it's, you know, put into place by, you know, if it's within the organization, obviously we have a tremendous medical staff and strength and conditioning staff. So we know we're going uh, about the process the right way with that. If we're talking about, you know, outside of the organization, somebody, you know, coming back from injury, just staying within the process, trusting that there's going to be ups and downs with that too. Whether it's a major in- injury or a minor injury, there's going to be days you feel better and days you feel worse and not trying to do too much on any one of those days. And just knowing that the light at the end of the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel isn't necessarily a train, like it's going to be okay when you get there. A little bit different note. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how Harbor Park plays for pitchers against hitters. Cause we tend to regard Harbor Park as a pitcher's park. And that's kind of the reputation it's had for a long time. Um, Robert Newstrom and Kyle Stowers make it look like that's not the case a lot of nights, but how do you see it? I've seen both. Um, some of it depends on where the ball's hit. It doesn't really f- travel the center very well. It plays very, very, very big out there. Um, down the lines can play a little bit shorter, but a lot of it depends on the wind. And we've had it both blowing in and out. And so I've seen some balls that should be caught carry over with ease. I've seen balls that have been absolutely annihilated. It seemed to be Kyle Stowers doing quite a few times early, like driving balls to dead center and just somehow the guy catching it. And he wasn't the only one. I just, there's one in particular where I gave him a bad time about it because his first hit of the year was that double that just kind of went 32 <laughs> feet at seven miles an hour. And I'm like, hey, I think you're even now. I don't think he was very happy with my joke, but that's the one that stands out for me with that. So we had to transition now to talk about the big news of the weekend, which was Adley Rutschman making his major league debut. And we all kind of know what the expectations for Rutschman are, but you've had an opportunity to work with him a lot, not just this year, but last year in Bowie and at the off site in 2020. As a pitching coach, how do you feel when your pitchers are throwing to him and he's behind the plate? Um. 
honestly would feel good with any of the catches we had, like I mentioned, but him in particular, it, you know, he's, he's doing his homework. You know, he's got the pitchers, he's got their back. He's out there, you know, he's the first one to greet him off the field. He's, he's going to do whatever it takes to, to frame the pitch or to, you know, get, get on the right page with the umpire. And he's, he's going to have those conversations with the pitch, pitcher when he needs it. If it could be a pep talk, it could be a reminder of what the plan is. It could be a straighten up situation, but he's going to handle it. I mean, it's, it's uh, fun and it's a little easier when, when he's back there as a pitching coach. Did, uh, did, did Buck Britton get to like run the lines by you guys before he gave that speech to Adley that we saw telling him the, the, that he was getting called up? How, how much of a notice uh, did, did he get before that happened? So we knew right kind of at the end of our – like after our game was done, um, but we had to wait till the Orioles game was done, and they went extras that night. And so – um, you know, he was kind of thinking about what he was going to do, but I don't think he ever, he didn't have it scripted. Like, he did that one off the cuff, which is, you know, hats off to him. Um, if I ever get the opportunity, I, I hope I'm half that good. Um, but, you know, it was one of those where there was enough of a premise to um, kind of touch on, you know, based on catching three days in a row and kind of talking about where we're at and setting them up a little bit that way. Um, so I think that, at least kind of helped sell the story. And then obviously um, you got to see the genuine reaction of him and the, and the guys, which was awesome. Are they going to let you be the one to break it to Grayson and DL? I, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I got to come up with something pretty good though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you've mentioned a couple of times, I do want to ask you about the other catches that the Tides have had this year. And primarily when it has not been Rutschman behind the plate, it's been Brett Cumberland or Jacob Nottingham. Um, Cumberland's called a dozen games for the ties. Nottingham's not too far behind, but looking at that unit as a whole, what do those catchers do so well? Well, I'll throw Bo Taylor's name in there too. He might not have as many games, but that's because he's been on the taxi squad. Um, so he's kind of been in the mix on, on the other side of things, but you know, they, they all do a really good job of understanding what the task is, knowing the homework, the, the, the lineup um, they're engaged in the advanced meeting. They've done their own homework, um, they know the pitcher's strengths and weaknesses as, as well as anybody. So they know if there's in doubt of what, what needs to be called, they have that in the back of their mind of what to go to based on, you know, conversations with the players, conversations with us and understanding the hitters at the plate. Like they know what needs to, to be done in that situation. And they, they take control. It's um, you know, there's, they are the quarterbacks on the field. If you want to use that cliche, they're the generals, they are taking control. And that's what that, that, position requires and they all do a really good job at that yeah, i feel like you're speaking of you know watching kyle stowers and robert newstrom make harbor park look like a hitter's park i feel like jacob nottingham is also making harbor park and really any minor league ballpark look like a, a hitter's park over the last couple of weeks he's also one of the only catchers i've ever seen make adley look kind of small <laughs> like jacob he's a big dude we'll go now mm -hmm. to our segment where we shout out players that uh have done something well that are not in our personal top 30, and Justin can use this space to shout out any player that he wants, but Bob, Nick, and myself kind of put rules on it, and we like to focus on a hitter and a pitcher each week, whether it's a good game that they've had, a good week, just something that stands out in their performance uh, that we want to take time to shout out, and I'll start with Bob because he's got one of the players that we've just talked about uh, a moment ago on his list. 
Yeah, I got Robert Newstrom as my hitter this week. I just think he's pretty consistent and he doesn't strike out much for a power hitter, only striking out like 14.7% of the time. He has good at bats. He's he takes walks and man, he he hits bombs when he when he hits the ball, <laughs> it goes a long way. Uh just feel like he might be getting overshadowed a little bit because Kyle Stowers had a hell of a week and especially an incredible weekend and is trying to catch up to Adley and get to the majors as, as quick as he possibly can. But Newstrom went, I think, four for four on Sunday and hit a home run of his own. So just wanted to shout him out. And another guy that we actually talked about in this episode is Nolan Hoffman, the minor league rule five draft pick who I saw him live the first game of the season where he pitched an inning, gave up four, three runs on four hits. But to me, I just love the way the ball looked coming out of his hand. I thought, you know, he threw hard for a for a side armor from that angle. And I just I knew that he was going to be better than that one outing indicated. And if you take out that one bad first outing, he has a 2.51 ERA over 14 and one thirds innings with 13 strikeouts to five walks. So I think he's getting a little overlooked right now. And, and I think uh, he might be in Norfolk before the season ends. Love it. I'll go with my guys real quick. Uh, my pitcher, I, anyone who's listening over the last couple of weeks uh, knows, can guess where I'm going with this. Uh, I'm going to Aberdeen. Uh, this is uh, this group is just continues to fascinate, and especially Peter Van Loon this past week. Um, career high eight strikeouts in four innings, and that was after Connor Gillespie struck out eight guys himself in like three or four innings of work. So outside of Grayson starts, I think Van Loon produced some of the most awkward swings and uncomfortable at-bats of the whole week that I watched. Uh, so Again, Aberdeen continues to roll, and my hitter, I'm going with uh, another one of my favorites in the system. Speaking of catchers, Maverick Hanley. Um, we've seen for two years now all the the videos in the offseason, the work he's put into that bat, um, and you know the results in, in the stat line haven't been there, but the defense is mind blowing. And Drew Rom said the other week when he was on that you know Hanley just needs regular at bats, and that's something that he wasn't getting, but the talent was there. And last week he played five games, hit 353 with a double, a home run. Walked twice, struck out just one time. Uh, so I think Bowie, Shane Fontana's hitting his stride. Uh, Westberg, Gunner are doing Westberg and Gunner things. Cesar Preto is joining that roster now. So I think we just need Drew Rom, Zach Peek back on that mountain, Bowie. And that Bowie team is really going to take off here over the next week or two. I'll go with two guys that were promoted today. Uh, one of them is Elio Prado. Very excited to finally get a chance to see him at Del Marva. He's held back in Florida a little bit with an injury, but this is one of the prospects that was acquired in the Andrew Kastner trade a few years ago, along with Noel Berth Romero, who has gotten off to a really good start this season in Del Marva. So definitely keep an eye out for Prado, the young outfielder. And then Alex Pham, uh absolutely earned that promotion with the start that he had had at Del Marva this year, pitching out of their bullpen, 15 strikeouts and 11 to third innings pits. 159 ERA. The stuff looks really good. So I think he might be another one of those pitchers in Aberdeen that in a few weeks we're talking about as a breakout candidate, uh, someone in the bullpen that has putting up good results and really should be on more fans' radars. And Justin, uh, just give you a chance to chime in here. Any players you want to shout out in particular? Um, yeah, I'll. I'm going to stick to the tides, but um, on the position player side of things, I think, you know, Bo Taylor, I just mentioned him obviously, but he did a tremendous job, um, you know, 
catching on Sunday 15 punch outs with the two guys we had going. I think there was 29 whiffs, and that's not just because of stuff on the mound. You have to call the right pitches that are going to generate generate the whiffs. Um, and I thought he did a tremendous job of that, of sticking to the game plan and understanding where the, the weaknesses were for the hitters and attacking. Um, another guy would be Caden Grenier because that glove has been fantastic for us, and he's been swinging a better bat lately. And <clears throat> it's not always going to show up, but he grinds out the walks or even the outs. They're still they're not easy. And uh, I know obviously we've talked, you know, it's been talked about before that it, he's a glove first player, and that's fine. It's a really really good glove. Um, but you know he's been putting together some really good at bats for us um, for a while now. But it's just you know might not be showing up necessarily with crazy numbers on the, the stats. But that average just continues to rise, and he continues to put together the quality at bats for us. Um, on the mound, I'd say, you know, obviously, Rico Garcia this past week was the first time I really got to see him at this level. That was really cool to watch. Um, obviously, it's, you know, he, he's done it before at the highest level, and you can see why. Um, kind of an under-the-radar under the name, though, would be Matt Vogel. That's another one of those really cool stories that I think um, when you dive into is, is very impressive to see where he's at and what he's done for us, being a, an important arm out of the bullpen for us. Um, you know, when he – I, I didn't even realize this part, but when he came up and he he helped us out early before sticking with us full time, that was the first time he had pitched in an affiliated game in five years. And oh, wow. you wouldn't know when he looked out there. He was so composed. He was so dominant. He was so like just it looked like he was he was made to be out there. And then I think it was a week later he actually got to I think he got the win, if I remember correctly, against the Durham Bulls and the Rays were the team that originally released him. So that was a cool moment, cool story for him. And it's been it's been a lot of fun to be around watching all these guys really. It's a tremendous team. You guys know that you guys speak on that constantly. But um, just one of those cool feel good moments kind of story things. Justin, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. It's been great to hear your perspective, your insight on things that are going on in North, Norfolk and in the Orioles farm system. You're also pretty active on Twitter. So can you tell our listeners where they can follow you? Uh, I think it's Buckler 15 <laughs> I haven't had to sign in for a while. So I just, <laughs> I believe it's Buckler 15 I don't think there's an underscore. Um, that was just kind of a nickname because I threw a good curveball and 15. I grew up an A's fan, six foot righty, like Tim Hudson. So that's where the those two come from. Nice. Love it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd just like to note that Adley is up. Things feel different. I think this is going to be May 21st, 2022, is going to be a day we look back at is when the flip started to switch and uh, the ball's rolling downhill now. So it's all up from here. We're down, whatever way you're looking at it from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, thank you to Justin Ramsey for joining us on tonight's show. We will be back next week with a little bit of MLB draft talk as well as some coverage of the Orioles minor league. So be sure to check that out. In the meantime, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest coverage of the Orioles, the Ravens, college sports, and more. Be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors. And continue to follow us on Twitter at PSL on the Birds. We'll be back next week. For Bob Phelan, Nick Stevens, and Justin Ramsey, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.